Welcome to the Millionaire Secrets Podcast, where the most successful people in the world share their secrets to help you create the awesome life you desire. And welcome to another episode of Millionaire Secrets. This is Jeff Lerner, your host, riveted as always to be joining you yet again for a fantastic conversation. Uh, this one I don't have to wonder about because this is a, a gentleman I've actually been on his show. I've spoken to multiple times. He's a certified, verified, bona fide marketing genius named Eric Sue. Um, he's the CEO and founder of Single Grain Agency. I might have misspoken that. I think he might have acquired it, not founded it, but we'll get into that. Uh, he's also the creator of ClickFlow Software, a pretty cool content marketing intelligence software that I'm selfishly going to ask him all about because it sounds like something I might want to use. Um, he's got a new book coming out called Leveling Up that uh, I'm excited to hear about because leveling up is what I'm trying to do daily. And he's a cool dude. Actually happens to be really nice guys. He's far too successful to be as nice as he is. But nonetheless, Mr. Eric Sue, welcome to Millionaire Secrets. Glad you're here. Thanks for having me, Jeff. I might say the same thing to you. So, oh, Gee, thanks. Imagine people, people that are successful and actually like each other. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, man, I, I really enjoyed our last, our last conversation. I, I get the sense that we're of a like mind in many ways, and I'm excited to continue that here for the Millionaire Secrets audience. Um, why, don't, why don't we dive right in uh, with the, the question that we all want to know, and not to, not to throw you something that's too, too broad right out of the gate, but like, I want to level up. Tell me what to do. Yeah. Oh, man, that's a, that, that, is, that is a broad one. You weren't like. Yeah, so right. I think, man, the, if we're thinking about leveling up on a daily basis, you know, the, the late Tony Shea of, of Zappos, um, of when I read his book, Delivering Happiness, when I was about, it's got to be 22 or so, um, this one thing stuck with me. All you got to do is just get 1% better every single day, right? Just yeah. one step at a time. I think the worst is, when let's say I'm starting out and I compare myself to someone like uh, Elon Musk, it's too overwhelming. You know, it's, you can't, you're caught, your brain can't get over that. Right. So to think about, Hey, like I'm just going to focus on being the best version of myself and getting better every single day, whether it's, you know, I got to create the right habits, the right health habits, the right um, kind of mindset habits as well. Um, that's how you get there. And that to me, you know, when people used to talk about mindset and like all this, it sounded like fluff to me, right? I don't need this raw, raw stuff. I just, need, I just want to execute. Right. So that's like, when you're younger, you're just like, just let me work. And right. then you realize all this stuff later, when you get a little older, it's like, that's the stuff that matters. And you just got to stay consistent. And the quote that I love is, you know, if you're going through hell, keep going Winston Churchill. Right. So that is a broad answer to your broad question. Well, I think it was wonderful. Um, and it is, man, it's just, oh, Little bit better every day, right? You know, I, I do. Uh, I'm curious, what what sort of uh, habits or or reporting mechanisms, self assessment mechanisms? Because it doesn't just happen yeah. by accident, and and even with good intentions, there's mm -hmm. got to be a methodology to it. How does that show up in your life in a you know kind of a precise way where you actually yeah. know it's happening? That's a great, very precise question. I love that. So it's one of the things that stuck with me is um, I do this thing called feedback analysis. And so every quarter or so, and I do this before the end of the year as well, I'm going to review all the big bets I made for the year and mm -hmm. what ended up working out and what didn't. So as an example, when I first took over uh, my agency, single grain, I made a 
really bad hire. And that's my fault. I'm going to take full responsibility for that. Um, and I, that was a big bet. Right. And I also made another big bet around taking over single grain. Right. So how did those bets work out? Single grain worked out really well. The hiring bet didn't work out so well. So maybe that's a signal that, you know, my, I'm not so good at recruiting, but um, maybe when it comes, you know, down to making big long-term bets, I am, I'm just saying that's just, those are two data points and maybe it's not enough, but as you keep doing this over two or three years, you start to realize, Oh, this is actually what I'm good at. I should just focus on that. And then these, these things I'm actually bad at. I should probably stay away from them. Yeah, I like, I like so much um, what you just said. It, it's kind of an addiction, addiction, no, addition <laughs> by subtraction uh, approach where leveling up, and I think this is so elemental and useful for people to realize is that a lot of, a lot of getting better is just reducing what you're not as good at. You know, you can, you can um, delegate, you know, what we teach, either optimize, delegate, or delete anything that's not your strength. Yep. Um, and you get a whole lot better really fast just by getting clear on that. I mean, who, who said, I think it was Dan Sullivan. He, he brought up the, the whole, you know, $100,000 an hour task, right? The $10,000 an hour task. Like mm -hmm. ideally that's where you're working and you're not working on the $10 an hour task. So that thing's really stuck with me as well. So you mentioned that you read this book when you were 22 years old. Um, so by the looks of it, that was about five days ago. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no wonder it was top of mind. But, but no, in, in all seriousness, I mean, you are, um, you, you know, you're a younger guy and you're, you're really, from, at least from what I can tell, super damn busy. I mean, you run single grain agency, which is, uh, you know, there's a lot of agencies in the world right now, you know, this whole start your own agency. And, and I do this too. I might, my program, Entra, literally teaches people to start agencies. So so I'm, I'm a culprit here, but I mean, there's like every Tom, Dick and Harry starting an agency now, right? Mm -hmm. Single grain. We're talking an agency that's like works with like Amazon and Airbnb and I mean, Salesforce and Uber and uh, these are your clients, right? So it's not just a little, you know, startup side hustle agency. It's a serious agency. You also uh, created a software, which I'm very close to releasing beta of some software right now. I know how much work that is. Um, you also found time to write a book that's uh, about to be released, which I'll be uh, I'll be reading as soon as you'll Thank allow you. me. <laughs> and you're and you're the host. Uh, I was on Leveling Up the podcast with you, but you also co-host the Marketing School podcast with Neil Patel, mm -hmm. right? Yep. So that's a lot. I mean, w would you agree that's a lot? Like you're very busy. It's a lot. Yeah, and and you've you've ascended to all that relatively quickly. I, I don't know exactly how old you are, but I mean, it's it's pretty fast. Like. So you've leveled up a lot and, and correct me if I'm wrong, you were like not uh, a superstar academically in school. Like you were not voted most likely to, to be the next Elon Musk at any point, right? Nope. Okay. So tell me then, what, what do you attribute that to? You got the hang of it a lot faster than most of us. Yeah. Um, so, well, there's a lot in there. So I, I think the, the biggest thing is I can attribute it to gaming, right? And I know a lot of people might not be able to relate to that, that but I'm assuming most people can relate to the concept of, Hey, sports is very much a gateway to real life. I think most people can agree with that. Right. Um, why? Because of all the things you learn, teamwork, resilience, communication, and all that type of stuff. Uh, but you know what? Sports is just a game. So, okay. So video games are the same way. It's just, they're not interpreted like that. So, you know, when I was 12 or 13, uh, you know, playing with the top teams in the world, whether it's a first person shooter game or it's an MMO or whatever, um, I would learn a lot about these things. I'm like, I'm learning a lot. Nobody has ever told me about these things. I didn't play sports. But the problem is my parents didn't acknowledge it. You know, they'd take my computer away and all that stuff. Um, but anyway, long story short, you know, I just 
gaming has taught me, you know, how to react to things quickly, how to, um, how to be resilient, right? How to build the right team and all that, or how to be a part of the right teams. And um, that has translated very much into, into real life. And so, you know, that, that's kind of a broader answer to your question. And I think, you know, we can go a little deeper if you want. Well, yeah, I, I'd like to uh, both in terms of the narrative and, and also the, the, you know, sort of the, I guess, the science of what you just said. But mm -hmm. um, first, can, let's talk a little bit more about gaming. And, and I have, I will say, I mean, just so you know how excited I am to dig into this. Uh, according to YouTube, at least where this, this episode will appear on YouTube, about 20% of my audience is under, I forget, under 20 or something. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of teenagers, because I, I talk about how to get, you know, maybe some alternative options for education and like not mm -hmm. be on the mainstream path. And a lot of teenagers are having this very existential crisis, of course, like we all did. And um, mm -hmm. I think it's very cool to talk about the lessons from video gaming. Because yeah. um, not, all, not all teens, myself included, were good enough athletes to really get those lessons out of sports. I mean, riding the bench only teaches you so much. But uh, video gaming is this whole other world that may seem weird to most people my age. I'm 40 plus, but uh, man, it's incredible what I see my kids into. The, and, and you mentioned MMO. If I'm, if I'm correct, that's like what a massive, MMO is like massive multiplayer. I forget what the O stands for. It, right? it's, an, it's, it, it's an online community, basically. It's an entire world where you're playing with thousands of people at okay. once. So. So, so tell me, yeah, give me a little more... Um, you know, tan tangible uh, L description of what you're talking about. Like, how are you pulling lessons out of what yeah. seems to a bunch Let of people like just wasting time? Yeah. So if I, if I think about a gaming anecdote, I'll apply it to business right here. So I remember, um, you know, in one time I won this championship, right? How did I win the championship when I got s destroyed in preliminaries? It's because I saw someone doing something, right? there were doing something unique that nobody else is doing. So what we're, it was a tournament, you know, we're fighting each other and their movements were very quick. Right. And I was like, Oh man, I have those exact movements from this other game I played. So I basically ethically stole from that person. I beat that person. I won the whole championship. Right. And so when you think about business, I mean, Steve Jobs has said, everything's basically a remix. You look at the microphone in front of you. I've got a mic over here as well. Um, a lot of, there's not a lot of new stuff coming out. Sure. There's the people that are really pushing things, but even SpaceX, is kind of a remix of, you know, the, the rockets right now they've added, you know, reusable rockets. Right. right. So um, that very much is the same thing. And also what I learned from gaming is when I put, played world of Warcraft, I got to be a part of the best team. And I also learned that I can't do everything on my own. So to your point earlier, sure. There's a lot of projects, but I have operators that run, you know, single brain that run click flow. And I just focus now on the highest leverage activities that only I can do, which might be creating content or doing deals. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I totally see it. Um, you know, the other thing that occurs to me about video games is, you know, it's, it's literally making life and death decisions all the time, but without mm -hmm. real life and death consequences. You know, it seems like so much of our education and our, our formative training and development is based around mm -hmm. not making catastrophic mistakes. You got to go to the right school so you don't end up at the wrong school and work yeah. at McDonald's for the rest of your life. Or like, there's always this like doom and gloom, almost like fear-based instruction from teachers and parents. Whereas with video games, you have permission to take massive risks mm -hmm. really quickly, make quick decisions. I mean, and tell me I'm wrong. In business, quick decisions, massive follow-through and execution, yeah. right? That's something you can kind of have permission to do freely in video games, but not as much in the real world. Is that true? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, what I've learned from uh, having Asian parents growing up is that, you know, they, they put you through a lot of pain, right? So, you know, my, my tiger mom is just overall, what, the lesson I've gotten from her is, man, you know, you're not, you don't not, you're not getting enough pain right now, right? And so school doesn't teach you to go through pain. In fact, you try to avoid failure, but in business, you got to fail a ton, right? So when I think about poker, here's another analogy right here. Um, poker has taught me resilience, right? Because you fail all the time. And it also teaches you not to, you, we're talking about risk of ruin here, right? Not to play above your means. Um, but I've gone through periods of time in poker where you know, I'd lose for two to three months. We're talking variance, right? And um, the same thing happens in business. You might go through an unlucky stretch. So you got to be ready to weather that and you, how you deal with it, you know, matters as well. And I've got that element of calmness from poker. You know, I never, I never really thought about what a, what a unique laboratory poker is for business, but it is, it's like this tension between knowing that you have to lose a certain amount of the time, knowing that the game is based on at some level play. It is kind of playing beyond your means in the sense that half the game is about what do you do with a bad hand, but you still try to win. Yeah. But at the same time, there's this overarching concept of like at the end at the end of the day you can't really overplay your your what do they call it your pot or your mm -hmm. your bag wh wherever you keep your chips yeah and so there's like your back it's all about balancing risk right mm -hmm. that's yep. so that's so cool i never really thought i have another friend uh, who actually owns an eight i mean I'll, I'll out him his name's aaron parkinson he owns a great agency called seven mile media and he was a world-class poker player um, doesn't, doesn't surprise, and, a, and, a, and an MMA fighter. It's, it's, there's something Whoa. about these doing That's things at the, yeah. at the fringe, you know, yeah. that prepares you. Because frankly, entrepreneurship, and this is a lesson for the millions of aspiring entrepreneurs that are out there, and at least a few of them listen to my show. Mm -hmm. It's a fringe thing we do. Yep. It is. It's not going to make your, your parents go, oh, that was, a, that was a smart bet in most cases. Yeah. <laughs> And, and by um, the way, talking, talking about bets real quick, I mean, I mean, on the poker side, some of the best VCs in the world, they have this poker game up in Silicon Valley, and they very much attribute it to the same thing. Poker is basically a game of investing. It's a long-term game, right? You deal with the short-term stuff, but it's the same thing as business and life. Yeah, and, and losing and winning are both part of the, the calculation. Correct. Cool, man. So, okay, so you played uh, video game. Did you go to college? I did. did you, and you graduated? You finished? Yeah, so I'll tell you, I mean, so what happened was I actually, so I graduated from a school called uh, UC San Diego. Mm -hmm. And um, basically, I actually was almost kicked out of high school because um, I, didn't feel, I didn't feel like going to this one class. It was, it was this one required class. So that was the technicality there. I actually almost got kicked out of uh, college because after my first year, I was playing too much World of Warcraft. And uh, I had six withdrawals on two Fs. Um, and then I actually got fired from two jobs, uh, one during college and one after college. The other one was because I was trying to start a business, but there you go. You're, I, I'd say you're on a level of societal dysfunction right up there with me, man. Yeah. Uh, welcome. That's how to we the, do it. It's an elite <laughs> club, man. It's an elite yeah. club. So yeah, yeah I, got, I got fired from the only job I ever had. I actually did get kicked out of high school and I, it took me 10 years to finish college because I was playing jazz, jazz piano for, for a yeah, living. But you were good. That's the thing. So. And so were you. Right. I mean, that's, and you know, maybe let's talk about that because I'm sure you get a lot of uh, outreach from aspiring entrepreneurs. And that's just one thing that's kind of non negotiable is you have to be not, I don't even know if good is enough. Like, I'll say it straight up I'm a really good piano player. Excellent. You're a really good video gamer. 
you know, my buddy was a really good fighter and poker player. Like mm -hmm. entrepreneurs tend to be really, really good at stuff. I know, you know, Jeff Bezos at Amazon, he wouldn't hire somebody unless he could say, what is it? One of his hiring questions, fundamentals was, what is it about this person that makes them, I forget his term, but something like along the lines of a superhero. Like, what is it about this person that's exceptional, that's outside of work? Mm -hmm. That was a criteria. So what do you, how do you, how do you sort of tacitly or, or in a way that's not off-putting convey that to people that like, listen, part of the, one of the criteria here is just, you gotta, you gotta be excellent. And in most cases, that means you have to be better than you are. And that's on you. Yeah. Yeah. So everything you said is completely true. And the, the premise of the book is about going through life and collecting power-ups, right? Cause first we go to school, Ooh. but then you got to build great habits. Right. And then, so that's habits or power-ups, whatever you want to call them. Um, so we talk a little bit about having a growth mindset, right? A beginner's mind, that type of stuff, or resilience. All this is said, and it's basically remixed into this, you wrap it around um, this concept of gaming. And um, it's very much the same thing, right? In gaming, you have to do it. In real life, you have to do it. And if you build the right habits, you have the right power-ups, then you can get to the next level, right? So you know, maybe you build the right habits, you start working somewhere, and then you want to get to the next level. Okay, go through all the pain, go through all the obstacles, boom, next level is I'm going to start freelancing, go through all the pain. Next level is I'm going to build an agency or maybe you do drop shipping. Maybe then you do e-commerce. Then you go build other products. You can level up all the way up to like a SpaceX, right? But look at how much pain, look through how much pain that Elon Musk went through to start SpaceX. $180 million bet. He gave away all everything, right? Slept on his, his, his friend's couch. Didn't need to make this bet, right? And still did it, right? That, that, that's what he had to go through to get to where he is. A lot more than that, by the way. Yeah, a lot more than that. I mean, between PayPal and Tesla, mm -hmm. he, he, based, he literally gambled virtually his entire PayPal fortune to yep. start Tesla. And, and he, think about the fortitude to do that. You know, who are supposedly the smartest financial people in the world, right? It's Wall Street. That's where the smartest supposedly financial brains in the world congregate. And mm -hmm. those financial brains were telling him he was an idiot. Yep. Supposedly, and he still took yeah. the bet on himself. For sure. And so when you look at that, and you said the word gamble, right? I, and I, I'm pretty sure when we look at starting things, we don't think it's much of a gamble. We think it's, it's a no-brainer, right? And I right. think, you know, who said this? Mark Zuckerberg said this, right? The, the biggest risk is not taking any risk. So that you should be taking those gambles because that's where success comes from. Yeah. And actually, I just, I love, uh, you know, words, etymology, word origins. I just looked up the word gamble. Guess, guess what the origin of the word gamble is? I have no clue. It comes from an obsolete old English word meaning, or called gamel, to play games from the verb to game. I never knew that. How about that, there, man? That's helpful. How, yeah. How, how perfect. Um, okay. So let's talk about it then. You get out of college. Um, and you get fired from your job because you're, mm -hmm. I guess, trying to start a business or playing too many games. And uh, so, so what's the, the, the ladder look like from there to maybe what was your first was, was uh, yeah. yeah, what was the first kind of hit? Yeah, I think this will be helpful for the people just starting out right now. So um, when I had, when I graduated, it was uh, when the financial crisis hit, right? So um, I guess we're about to go through another one right now, knock on wood. Uh, but so we, the best job I could get coming out of a, a pretty good public school was a $32,000 a year job, which, you know, in, in Los Angeles, at least it doesn't pay the bills, right? No. So um, I basically would, you know, come into work and, and I would, I would go spend money on Subway and Starbucks in the morning. And that was basically like 
like a, a, a good chunk of my salary already. So my friend told me, and she works at Airbnb now, which actually went public today. She's like, hey, you should check out this digital marketing thing. Long story short, picked up an internship. Within the next, um, within the next year, I, I changed five jobs, right? So I kept looking for the next opportunity. I kept looking to level up. It wasn't so much about chasing the money. I was chasing the opportunity. Um, and, you know, eventually it got me to a point where um, it got me to a point where I worked for that one company that fired me for trying to start something. Then I got hired to become a VP of marketing for an online education company. And then that led to single grain. Okay. And single grain, I did, I corrected myself. You didn't found it. You had an opportunity somehow to get involved in the early stage, right? And now, now it's yours, but how, how'd that, that work? Yeah. So perfect there. Um, I mean, we, the way I looked at it was there's multiple things, right? How do I connect this with um, the world of game? It's just the way I thought about it was a little different than the, the other four co-founders, right? And by the way, Neil Patel, who is uh, one of my, my co-hosts for marketing school, he was one of the partners. Mm. And so what I saw at the time was, man, they wanted out and Neil told me to get out. He's just trying to cover for his friend. Like there's no brand equity here. You should get out of here. This company's worth nothing. And I was like, Hey, why don't you give me a shot on this? Um, here, why don't I buy your shares for $1 for 10%, another dollar for another partners. And then the rest were through the profits of the company with a contingency of, you know, if the company failed, I would own nothing. So to me, I was like the, the upside is asymmetric, right? right. Un uncapped upside versus the downside is I'm not going to lose much and I'm going to learn a lot. So, um, that was the entire thesis and you're exactly right. I did not found the company. I, I took it over and had to turn it around. You mentioned this, this concept of asymmetrical risk. Um, this is a, something we talk about a lot as entrepreneurs and it's, it's kind of inherent in the nature of entrepreneurs because as the multiplier of value, we as we, the human doesn't cost anything for us to operate. Right. Except mm -hmm. our time and our, I mean, we got to consume yeah. calories. Right. But, yeah. uh, you know, a lot of people I do think look at risk and maybe we could talk a little bit about risk. I mentioned Jeff Bezos. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I read a, a wonderful book about him called the Bezos letters, which is uh, mm -hmm. something you might add yeah. to your reading list. It's an analysis of his first, you know, 20 shareholder letters, but he talks a, a lot long about book, right? It's I, what? I think I have it. It's not a long book, right? No, it's, it's, I think it, they took the first 14 shareholder yeah. letters and there's just a chapter on each one. It's, and I actually interviewed um, the guys that, the husband and wife that wrote it. Mm -hmm. uh, really, really great interview. It's on my YouTube channel. But, um, but anyway, just Bezos, he talks all the time about return on risk. That's like a, that's like a KPI in his world. It's, it's not even a term that most, you know, accountants would even, they'd be, what's return on risk? They talk about return on investment, return on ad spend. What's return on risk? But it's because he's, he's willing to bet when there's asymmetrical risk, right? Um, mm -hmm. Maybe talk a little bit about that because, you know, to the employee person who's like, wait, you're, you want me to invest $20,000 in an opportunity to have a business? That sounds, mm -hmm. that sounds risky. How yeah. would you re-explain re that back to the person to say, no, no, it's not risky at all when you can make $10 million? Yep. I mean, just simple math alone, you look at that, you look at the upside versus the downside. That's the first reason. But, you know, if, if I think about, um, if I think about a lot of founders that I know, what ends up happening is because, you know, the taxes in um, the United States are very high, right? And I think in a lot of countries, they're actually incentivized to plow everything back into the business to grow the pie bigger, to grow, mm -hmm. to, to make, have a bigger valuation, right? And they just continue to defer like that. So, 
you know, they defer and they understand that they're the, they're the best stewards of their capital. They're going to create more jobs. They're going to create more upside and they're just going to keep doing that. And then it just gets bigger and bigger. Now, the normal person would say, why are you not taking the profits? You should be taking the profits um, for yourself. And then you should be living a really nice life. Oh, I would stop working, blah, blah, blah. Um, that's the wrong way to think about it, right? It's if they want to take the risk, they want to make the, th the pie bigger. They're going to go for it all the way. Now, look, if you have a family, you have other things to worry about. That's a different story, but um, that's one example of, to me, it's, it's asymmetrical risk, right? Um, you could, you could bet all your profits one year and then all of a sudden it, it, you can parlay it into like a 20 to $30 million thing. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, and, and I'll, I'll just use a brief illustration. My, my current business Entre Institute, my startup budget for that business was $25,000, mm -hmm. you know, and, and that's, you know, what, what it does in a few hours now. Like yeah. it, that's, that's the, that's what we're talking about. I mean, if you're out there like, yeah. is this entrepreneurship thing? Cause that's a lot of yeah. my audience. Like they're like, yeah. should I, I'm yeah. saying like, you're, you ain't going to find that in the stock market. You know? Here's the other thing too. So totally. Right. And the best bet is on yourself. But then Mark Cuban says this, you've only got to get it right once. Yes. Yeah. So, so tell me about, have you, have you gotten it wrong? Oh yeah. So many times. I think, uh, I forgot who said recently, they're talking about their hit rate. I, I think my hit rate is probably around uh, 30 or 40%. Uh, so okay. the very first business I started was, um, I actually bought it. So I, I actually did M&A, quote unquote, I'm air quoting because I didn't know what I was doing. Uh, <laughs> the first e-commerce job I had, I bought from an employee. He had a, this magic e-commerce store that was making like, you know, uh, $100 a day or something like that. I was like, oh my God, I got to buy it for $4,000. I thought it was a steal. So I learned a lot about that. Had another e-commerce site that I bought from the same guy failed on both of them, uh, worked with my high school friends on a couple, uh, on one thing, actually that didn't work out. So yeah, I, I've learned to kind of take my lickings. Yeah. I bought an, I bought an e-com store a few months ago for my son. I was going to give it to him. I was like, Hey, here's your first business. I bought it. Uh, I bought it on uh, flippa flippa.com where you, you buy, you know, web-based businesses. And I, I guess the guy had gotten a notification from Facebook that they were banning he had low customer satisfaction scores because, you know, Facebook surveys the, the mm -hmm. audience. And so they, they were in the process. They had given him a warning, say, if you don't bring this up, we're going to shut down your ad account. So instead of bringing it up, he just went and listed his business on Flippa based on the numbers that it had done to that point. I acquired it. A week after I bought it, they said, yeah, this is your, you know, we gave you a warning. You didn't respond. And now that I was on the ad account, I got the notice. Uh, said everything's terminated. You can no longer run ads on Facebook. That was the entirety of the business. And so I, you know, it was like 10 grand. Right. And I'm just sitting there like, okay, well, and as it turned out, I was able to go through Flippa and, and you know, the money was still sitting in escrow or whatever. And I got it back. Mm -hmm. But the point is like that crap happens all the time. Yep. Um, but that's just, you know, when you, like you said, you only got to get it right one time. Mm -hmm. um, 30, 40% hit rate, man. You're, you're good. You're good. <laughs> well, I, I think once you start to get used to it a little bit and you have some resources behind you, like you do as well, the, the hit rate goes a little higher because we have people smarter than us working for us. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. So, yeah. okay. So you started single grain. I mean, it's, it's a nice story. You bought it for what, $2 plus some, uh -huh. you know, deferred profit sharing. And uh, now it's a, you know, big booming agency. Can you walk us through like, what is a, a gamer kid do to resuscitate a digital agency that supposedly is on, on life support. Yeah. And, and by the way, I think this might be helpful. I think there's the mindset behind it where I knew if I took it over, I could take the cash flows from a traditional agency model and, and do great with it. Right. But even beyond that, 
it's, I want to go for even more asymmetrical upside, right? So how do I make it a pay for performance type of agency where you pay me per lead and I focus on a specific niche. Mm -hmm. So that's what I did. Right. So being, because I kind of straddled the line between tech and kind of the digital marketing or the internet marketing world. Um, you know, I know a lot of people in that world. So SaaS, right. Software as a service. Um, so we decided to focus on software as a service and we decided to switch over from being an SEO agency to mostly doing paid media work. So those are two big changes over there. Um, and then, you know, once we started getting that right, you know, a lot of people pay lip service to, oh, you got to hire the right people. You got to have a great culture. Um, but the culture is very much the operating system. It's the programming for the business. And once you get that right, man, um, that's how you keep the people for, for the long term. So people is very much the product. I don't care what people say. Um, and those things have allowed us to build something sustainable. So instead of trying to just say, Hey, let's just do work. There's no mission. There's, there's no, there's no vision. Um, that actually gives people something to wake up for. Right. So our, our, our mission very much is to level up marketing businesses. So if you look at all the things that I work on, it mainly stays around marketing and I don't try to stray too much from it. So whatever, if I buy something or if I invest in something, um, I got to be able to help it in some way, shape or form. Um, so that's what it is. And I think beyond that, it's um, how did I turn it around? I'll tell you. I also had no clue what I was doing the first year. So I was willing to go through a lot of failure. I dropped all the way down to one employee. Everyone left. Nobody believed in me. Um, and I took my lickings and, uh, you know, I've had to just kind of reassess from there and, and keep going. So there's that naivety about me uh, to say, hey, I still think I can figure it out. So. Yeah, well, I mean, people, it sounds like in a way you were, you were too... I wouldn't say too dumb, but I think you'd know what I mean if I did. Mm -hmm. Like yeah. too naive, too inexperienced, too dumb. Yeah, yeah. To stop. Too dumb is fine. Yeah. To stop, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I like that. I, you know, uh, again, man, it's like I, I keep quoting Jeff Bezos. I'm on a kick today, but he talks about <laughs> always being a day one company, mm -hmm. which is um, kind of feels a little bit like being you know, embracing the idea of being naive enough to stay optimistic. Cause it's frankly pretty yeah. hard to do what we do if you're not optimistic. Beginner's mindset. Yeah, man. Yeah. The beginner's mindset. Okay. So you, you scale single grain. Um, let's talk briefly. I mean, that, that client list, uh, some of the companies you've worked with, those are not easy accounts to land. Can you maybe talk a little bit about what it takes to, to get Amazon as a client? Yeah. I'll tell you exactly what we did. So when I first took over the company, our blog was getting about 4,000 visits a month, which is not bad for starting out. Um, but since then we've scaled it. It's, it's, it's higher than that now at about 350,000. So it's, it's, mm -hmm. it's decent. It's not in the millions. Um, but that lead machine, the traffic that we get has allowed us to get um, like the Ubers and the Amazon. So it comes through inbound to answer your question. So 50% of our leads come from, uh, from SEO, 15% come from podcasts, 35% come from networking, us throwing events or speaking mm -hmm. at things. Um, so that's largely what happened there. And um, I will say, okay, what do we do exactly? So we rank pretty well for a lot of uh, agency type keywords and that's, you know, bottom of the funnel type stuff that helps us. Cool. So how do you, how do you create the content for the blog? Cause obviously it's pretty good if it's having that effect. Yeah. So what we did back then was um, we did a, a lot of Look, these sound like old SEO strategies, but I'm still telling you that this old stuff still works. And this was a long time ago too. We uh, did a lot of guest posting on, you know, let's say HubSpot or Social Media Examiner, Entrepreneur mm -hmm. and all those. Um, and then we, instead of publishing just once a month and it, maybe it was like haphazard content, we're like, okay, let's go for longer form, 1500 to 2500 words, try to publish three times a week and let's focus it on marketing uh, kind of, you know, 
upcoming marketing uh, trends, that type of stuff, right? And um, that publishing schedule and the guest posting alone helped us, you know, scale to kind of where we are now. So for anybody who's not maybe, you know, doesn't have the background to follow everything you just said, the, the 1500 to 2500 word format, that's a long blog post, you know, right. relative in the market. And so, you know, it takes a lot more work to make it high quality, but, but, you know, for the search engines, there's a lot for them to index and a lot for them to extract value and, and relevance for or from. Um, and then guest posting, the idea being that you go post on a, a higher page rank site and because they're going to give you an attribution link, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but that essentially you get a higher page rank site pointing to your site, which boosts your page rank, right? That's correct. And what you want to be doing ultimately is you're just look at your website as, as real estate, right? Because once your domain authority, which is scored on a scale of one to 100, 100 being the strongest, the higher you get that, let's say you're over 70 or 80 or so, you can use a tool like Ahrefs for this. Um, you can actually, you'll find that whatever you start to publish will start to naturally rank, right? You don't, mm -hmm. a lot of the work has been done because your site is now seen as an authority and you can then parlay the authority that you have and start having affiliate content too. So I know a couple of entrepreneurs, one guy has a business that does 25 million a year. He decides to make some of his content uh, tied to affiliate revenue. And so on the side right now, the website generates additional 200 grand a month, which 2.4 million in free cash flow a year. That's great. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's. I mean, it's awesome. Um, and, and, and I will say, I mean, as an, you know, this is not, like you said, this is like old school kind of stuff that has a little bit of a bias now because it doesn't feel clever enough, but like my business Entra, we are literally right now instituting for 2021, a massive blog strategy that's mm -hmm. literally built around, you know, a big, in big part, what you're describing. So it's, it's not out of date at all. Um, by, by the way, Jeff, I think, you know, a lot of people, um, you know, they're just like, hey, let's just spend the money on ads because we know we're getting this return. But um, some of the, the, the smartest people I know are spending, we're talking a couple hundred grand a month on content and a couple hundred grand a month on links. And they're just pressing their advantage because they know most people aren't going to spend that because it's not very black and white. It's not like right. Paid. Well, and, and the other thing that I've really come to understand, which is why I'm pushing hard on the organic content, uh, the written content side, not just videos is that when Google at least starts to rank you on certain keywords, they also decrease your, your bid cost on those keywords on the paid side if you're driving traffic to the same property that ranks on those keywords organically. They basically let you, they give you a better deal on your paid ads. I, I, I don't know if I've seen that, but that sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah, I, well, I, I, so I, I just went, was talking to a buddy of mine who has an agency and we were going through a case study the other day mm -hmm. And, and he manages the paid ads for somebody who's currently ranking on over 3,000, first page on over 3,000, um, you know, like marketing and sales related keywords. And he was showing me their, their click costs. And it was, it was way less than comparable clients who don't have any organic presence. Mm -hmm. And that was really kind of the only thing we could ascribe it to. So, you know, look, uh, I, you I'm, know not, what? I'm not speaking on behalf about. of Google, but this is anecdotal. Yeah. So I think what you're talking about is this, and this is in fact true. Um, so if you have, you know, on your landing page, you have the right keywords, the quality score of that page is going to go higher and your costs are going to decrease significantly and you're going to get, an, you're going to get the upside. That's basically what, what Jeff. Yeah. Talking and about. I guess those are the same factors that'll lead you to rank the content too. So you can kind yeah. of create a best of both worlds. Correct. Scenario. Okay, cool. So you get, when, when was the single grain thing? When did you start to ramp that I, up? So I took the company over in 2014. Yeah. Okay. 
And when did uh, ClickFlow emerge? So ClickFlow emerged uh, in 2018. Okay. Um, and yeah, that's what happened. That's okay. So what, what was the impetus for getting into the, you know, directly into the SaaS game? Yeah. So because I have a background in SaaS, I speak at a lot of SaaS conferences. I have a pretty good understanding and it, this is very fortuitous. Actually, it's the Facebook algorithm actually popped up this, um, this thread in this, I forgot which group it was in, but there's this entrepreneur talking about how he's looking to work on his next project, how he's worked on a couple of SaaS projects. I'm like, this guy's actually really smart. So what happened was um, I reached out to him and we had started talking. And in a couple of months, we already had our, our prototype out and we had already started to collect uh, revenues. Um, and then, you know, there's been quite a bit of a journey up to now, but i um, happy to talk about the, um, the journey of product market fit. So, well, as someone who is, like I said, about to launch uh, a software business out of, or I guess into beta, yeah, let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah. <laughs> Let me learn, stand on the shoulders of, of your, your giantness. Um, yeah. what, what did you, yeah, I mean, how did you get that to market? I mean, SaaS is so sexy and everybody wants to do yeah. it. And then they actually do it and they go, oh crap, yeah. this is really hard. Like, yeah. so what made so, it work for you? Great question. So I, I think, you know, one of the benefits for you is you already have an audience that's built in. And that's, that's an advantage that I have as well. I think most people think uh, just because they have the audience, I'm not saying you, but uh, I can just put this, this product out and it's going to do well. Um, you know, I can, maybe I can make a course and, you know, we can launch it that way. Um, the, the problem with SaaS is that if you want people to stick around, um, the, you have something that is great. You got to have great onboarding, right? And to have great onboarding, you have to do a lot of customer development. So a lot of things, things is you talking to customers and understanding what the pain points are, because now you're in a situation where it really doesn't matter what you think is right, what the solution you think is correct. It's actually what other people are saying. And so you have to constantly be solving for that and talking to thousands of customers, right? If you can, because I'll, I'll tell you right now, one good example of this is a CEO of a company called Levels. He reached out to me personally, doesn't know who I am, said, hey, let's get on a 45-minute call. Asked me all these questions, very targeted. He's doing customer development. I was like, man, how many of these calls have you done? He's like, over a 1,000. I'm going to do more. So wow. what that allows you to do is our problem was we were building in a um, – we were building in – just on our own, right? Um, in a tunnel or not in a tunnel, in a cave by ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so we had acquired, we built up too much technical debt, right? Meaning that we hired all these different contractors, like we should build this, we should build this, we should build this. And what we've had to do over the last couple months is we have to unwind that. We had to fix all the technical debt, right? Which took a lot of time. And um, we really focused in on a couple of features that our customers said are necessary. So the mistakes we made, I'll talk about the mistakes, is we, we kept launching too many features. Um, the product was unstable because we had all these different contractors coming through. And, um, you know, we, we didn't focus on um, scalability and stability, right? So for me, even though I have the audiences, um, you know, if this product isn't stable, I'm not going to push it out there because you only get one chance to make a good first impression. Um, and what ends up happening is most SaaS products, especially if you're doing like a, like a free trial, 30, sorry, 40 to 60% of people will not come back if you have a terrible onboarding experience. Mm -hmm. So the game you're ultimately playing is you're playing a retention game. You forget about all the, you know, I think most, uh, the, most of the internet marketing world is like, let's drive as much acquisition, acquisition. This game is retention. Well, yeah, because with software, you're, you're, usually your economic model only works with good retention. Yeah, I'll, I'll mean, tell you what, Jeff. I mean, if you look at ClickFunnels back there, I see you have, you have two of the plaques. 
they have a retention problem. And I don't think they're going to argue with you there because what they primarily sell right now are they sell bundles, right? right. Most of the people, and this is also the audience that they target to make money online crowd, a good chunk of them, right? A lot of them are likely to churn out, right? So that's why Russell does a great job as a marketer and a, and a salesman as well, closes people on the bundles. And that's what really helps with their cash flow. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I, I, again, I don't know that from the inside, but I, it would be hard for me to understand how their customer acquisition model made any sense if they weren't selling thousand dollar programs yeah. that came with the software. Correct. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and unless, again, unless you go the VC route and you have a hundred million dollars to market from and you don't, you know, three years to turn a profit, right? Right. Um, okay, cool. So, well, congratulations on building a successful SaaS product because Thank that you. is not, easy and for every sexy fast company success story there are a hundred funerals that nobody even attends right totally yeah um okay cool and so then now uh at the the ripe old age of 20 <laughs> so uh, i i'm i'm 34 i'm not super young 34 not okay so well you wear it well and i um anyway so and I'm, I'm 41, so I guess we're, yeah, we're pretty close. We're, we're the same age, yeah. Yeah, same generation, you'd say. What, what are we, Gen, Gen Y, Gen? I'm on the fringe of millennial, so I barely qualify to be a So am I Gen Z? I have no idea. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so then um, here you are now. You did, you've got the agency, and, and clearly, as you mentioned, you, you're very good. You must be in order to do all this stuff at finding, do you find amazing operators? Or do you develop them internally and train them? But clearly you've got these projects running in great hands right now without your day-to-day. -day. Yeah. So great question. I think, um, so I had this guy on my podcast, uh, his name's Andrew Wilkinson. So he has a portfolio of companies um, and he has great operators. So, uh, you know, one of the key things he says is this, and the analogy he uses is, look, if you're going to hire someone to do a home renovation, are you going to hire someone that's done it over a thousand times? Or are you going to hire someone that has potential? Um, and so I've gone down the potential route a couple of times. Mm -hmm. Usually it doesn't work out. The vast majority of the time it doesn't work out. Um, so what I've learned, and also Neil has mentioned this too, um, with the, all the projects he has, it's, look, you just hire for experience. You pay them really well and let them do their thing and get the hell out of their way. So, Yeah, Neil, I actually met his operator in, in uh, Neil Patel Digital. Oh, what was his name? Mike? He's, Mike, yeah, yeah, Mike. Uh, Camo. Camo. Camo, yeah. And uh, I mean, yeah, he's sharp. Like he's mm -hmm. sharp, man. That's the kind of guy you want that guy pushing all your buttons and working the switchboard yeah. so that you can go speak at conferences and, you know, biz dev and right. Mike's a good example. Let's use him as an example real quick. So Keith Rebois, operator, used to be CEO of Square. He said this, right? You, you got ammunition in your companies, but you need, what you really need are the barrels, right? Because if you only have one mm -hmm. barrel, you can only do one big initiative at a time. So you probably need every new one. You could have like five, six, 10 barrels or whatever. Mike is a perfect example of a barrel because he's going to be out there. He's actually going to go. He helped recruit for all the other um, you know, agencies as well. And so he will go figure things out, right? You need those types of people. The more you can get, the more initiatives you can work on. So where do you go to find uh, experienced operators that are also available? Yeah. So great question. It's very difficult. Um, it's, you know, you can use recruiters. Um, what I do too is um, I'll go to a lot of my founder friends. So I'm in a couple of networks like YPO or EO. Mm -hmm. I'll say, Hey, who do you know that can do this? I'll ask on LinkedIn, Hey, tag someone, you know, that can do this really well. And then, you know, it kind of feeds on itself if it takes off sometimes. Um, and then what I generally do too over the years is that I'll, 
whoever I notice as a potential barrel, I'll just continue to talk to them and I'll, I'll just check in with them every couple months. Hey, how are things going? How can I help? Blah, blah, blah. And I'm actually in the process of bringing on two, two new barrels um, right now. So, yeah, that's a great point that, um, you know, I think a big part of entrepreneurship in general is understanding that the word no is actually code for not now. Yep. And when you find a great person, you build that relationship, even if it's not the right time. Mm -hmm. Right. I think that's, yep. that's something you, you learn either by not doing it a few times and then kicking yourself because you hear about mm -hmm. so-and-so got snagged up by someone else yep. or you, you know, heed the message and you do it and you'll be glad you did. And then um, you pay them the big bucks. I think most yeah, and, they're, really and good operators are expensive. Yeah. And they're worth every penny because mm -hmm. they're a, they're a 10x multiplier, you know? Yeah. Um, okay. So all that to say then, let's so we got, we got less than 10 minutes left here in our conversation, probably a great time to bring all this to a head and say, clearly you reached a point where you're like, okay, I've learned enough. I've done enough. It's book time. Like I should, I should package all this in a, in a instructive way. So what was the spark that said, okay, it's time to write the book. Yeah, so there's four forms of leverage. You have code, capital, labor, and media. And I think not enough people are paying enough attention to media right now. Sure, you might have people saying you got to create content, you got to create content. So let's say I have a decent sized marketing audience um, and I want to take it one step further, right? So I want to, with leveling up, understanding that my unique advantage is I know marketing and I know the world of gaming. That's the intersection right there. That's my remix, right? And to say, you know, my remix here is also this concept of power-ups or basically habits. It's not anything new. It's basically I'm targeting this gamer segment, right? And so I've got a unique opportunity here where I can spread a message that I think is important because it's near and dear to my heart. Um, but it's also another opportunity to build a new audience, right? And to be able to serve that audience, you know, great. It's um, whatever ends up happening with it, that's, that's fine, right? I'm not going to try to say, you know, I'm going to pay 500 grand or a million dollars to try to get on the New York Times. I'm going to let it, if the message spreads organically, that's great. So we'll see what happens there. And uh, yeah, if it changes a couple of people's lives, great. So that's so cool. It's funny you say that literally, what is it? Thursday? I think it was Tuesday. I was in my bathroom, just got out of the shower. And I had this moment where I was like, cause I'm writing a book right now. It, the book's called Millionaire Secrets. It's, you know, kind of extension of the show brand. And you know, it's, it's very kind of business and life focused, but mm -hmm. I had an idea. I was like, you know what, when I get this and it's, you know, writing a book is hard. So it's probably crazy for me to be already thinking about the next book. But, mm. you know, I'm thinking every, there's a lot of books on the business of music, but there's, I've never heard a book on the music of business. There you go. And I kind of, when you said like, you're this unique intersection, I'm like, so am yeah. I right. Yep. Jazz musician turned entrepreneur. Someone's going to do it. You got to do it. And there's, and there is, there's a music and a rhythm and a, and a melodic flow and an improvisation and a, um, you know, a time signature to business. And, totally. and I think that, that book, and it would, it would, oh, cause yeah. you know, for me, there's millions of musicians out there and yeah. I don't think any, I don't think the vast majority of them realize how well equipped they are by virtue of their musical training, particularly if they're improvisers yeah. for the world of business. Oh my God. You, you got to do it. it. It's basically helping these people, you're helping these people level up. Right. Um, and, and ditto yeah. for gamers. I mean, these are two, two categories that are kind of dismissed by the mainstream mm -hmm. as like, you know, a waste of time or frivolous or not contributing in, in mainstream value. But the reality is there's so much cognitive development going on and emotional 
regulation that has to happen yeah. in these disciplines. Um, you gotta just, the, just the amount of work, you know, mm-hmm. I, I think that's super cool. Okay. So when is leveling up coming to market? Yeah, it's going to be out February 24th, 2021. Cool. My birthday's March 1st. So I'm gonna have to buy myself a copy for my birthday. Hey, I'll tell you what, uh, we'll work out something where I'll send you a few. So. Oh, sweet. Sweet. Okay. I love yeah. it. Um, man, well, this has been, this has been wonderful. Um, I mean, you have so much cool stuff going on. I, uh, I'm, I'm excited to just be a fan and a spectator and, and, and a friend too. It's, it's really cool how much, how much amazing stuff you're doing in the world. Um, what, let me, let me ask you this. So, so to the person who's just getting started, you know, we've talked a lot about like, let's say hiring an operator or, you know, the intersection of marketing and gaming and, you know, so, some kind of, I guess, more stuff that requires resources to materialize, right. right? What do you think is the opportunity in the market right now for the person who's, uh, you know, kind of ignorance on fire, maybe not yeah. a lot of capital, but really wants to develop as an entrepreneur? Where, where do you steer somebody? Yeah. So there's this concept called the, the launch pad business. And I, I think there's really two routes that you can go through. Um, one is you start out freelancing and you build an agency, right? You can go through Jeff's uh, program on how to build an agency. Great um, idea. Great idea. Yeah, that's <laughs> one. The other one, I think you can certainly start with drop shipping first. It's not a lot of work, right? Your margins are going to be a lot lower, but once you get that machine going, why don't you take some, in, take some more risk, take some inventory and start to build a real e-commerce business um, if you so choose. And I think both of these will teach you a lot about all the things you have to deal with in terms of entrepreneurship. There's not a lot of capital required to start with consulting. Um, you know, maybe a little more with, with actually, no, not a lot for dropshipping either. I, th- I think there is more risk though, but I think that's, a, you're not going to learn from taking, um, you have to be out there in the market learning after you take courses or programs, right? Mm-hmm. Um, nothing's, nothing is a substitute for experience. Yeah, I'm really glad you said that. I mean, as a professional educator, I would love to say my courses are enough. Mm-hmm. They're not. They're literally, all my courses are is a pathway to the starting line. Yep. Like I'll, I will get you informed enough to be able to line up on the blocks and wait for the gun to fire. And you, you, you have the gun in your hand, by the way, shoot it and then start yep. like the experience, yep. like you said. Important. Great, great, man. I, I couldn't agree more. I think those are, those are really the, the right places to start. In fact, when people come to me, I usually steer them agency. Um, if, if in the absence of an, of another reason to start somewhere else, man, tremendous. Thank you for being a guest on millionaire secrets. Where can people go to get deeper into your world, whether on the products and services side or just the, I want to learn from this smart guy side. Yeah. Uh, thank you for all this. Uh, so you can go to levelingup.com if you want a free chapter of the book, uh, or you can just follow me on Twitter at Eric O S I U, or you can, uh, do the same thing on, on Instagram and yeah, that's where I hang out. Cool. Well, we'll grab those links and and pop them in the description wherever this appears. Thanks again, man. It's been amazing. Thanks for having me. Of course. And to all viewers and listeners of Millionaire Secrets out there, thanks as always for being here. You are the best part of this show and why we do what we do. We'll see you on the next episode. You just finished this episode of the Millionaire Secrets podcast. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please like and share this episode and do leave us a review. Let us know how we impacted you today. Your next step toward creating your awesome life is to join me and thousands of others in the Entra Nation community where you'll receive free training, networking with other awesome life seekers, access to live events, discounts, merchandise, and other awesome perks. Head over to www.entranation.com. That is www.entrenation.com and join us today.
And of course, do please follow me on social media. I can be found on all the major social networks at Jeff Lerner Official. Thank you again for listening and please go be awesome.